I started to overthink what I should do when I greeted the person. I'd see them in passing. Do I go for a hug? Do I not go for a hug? I think that maybe the first time we met, we hugged. But after that, it maybe it didn't make sense. So the next time I saw the person, I shook hands. They were sitting. I said, oh, hey, good to see you. It felt weird. So now I'm like, okay, what do I do when I see them again? And I couldn't stop thinking about it. And it was ridiculous. You know what I mean? There's no reason to overthink that. If the hug makes sense, go for the hug. If it doesn't, you can wave. You can say, hey, what's up? It doesn't need to turn into a thing. Next time I see them in person, I go for a hug. And it was like weird that I went for a hug. I sort of went for a one-arm side hug, so I didn't have to fully commit to a hug. Mm-hmm. And you could tell they didn't expect that. And they kind of gave me a few pats, mm-hmm. which made it seem as if they were thinking, oh, I guess, oh, we hug? Okay, but like this is weird. And then I literally couldn't stop thinking about it. I did not have sexual relations with that woman yes or no did you ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance yes i had no prior knowledge of the planned assault on nancy kerrigan i am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior i engaged in welcome back to oops the podcast everybody the year's winding down it's been a good one uh, I'm here with Ryan Lynch. Happy Thursday, himself. everybody. Happy Thursday, everyone. Hope you're doing well. Uh, here we are. I've, I've got some new dates on my calendar uh, to go along with my special taping, which is the 16th of February in Chicago. Those tickets are moving really fast, so I'll try to get some now uh, if you can because they might not make it more than a couple weeks, um, hopefully, so I don't have to think about it anymore. But in the meantime, get in there if you intend to come. Uh, I've also added Phoenix to my schedule, uh, Ooh, the, the Desert Ridge Improv, January 18th. I am also at Mike Drop Comedy in San Diego, January 19th. And of course, the Sunshine Comedy Festival in the Tampa area, which will be the 11th to the 14th of January. And finally, Connecticut, Stamford, the 1st of February. Come see me on the road. Lynch is going to be at that one. Yes. Doing some time. Uh, we are all excited for it. So it's going to be big. Uh, before we get into our usual programming, I would like to take a second to give a little quick memorial to one of our fellow comedians, compatriots, Kenny DeForest, who we lost recently. Very sad. Uh, I didn't know him super duper well, but obviously I knew him. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't be probably bringing this up. But he was really a wonderful guy, and it's been interesting to see how much he, he meant to everybody. Unfortunately, I think he got hit by a car riding a bike. Um, and it looked like maybe he was going to pull through. Unfortunately, it did not end up working out that way. And the comedy community is very uh, devastated by it. And, uh, you know, just wanted to make sure I took a second to shout him out. And I've been really impressed with uh, just how wonderful of a person he was and how much he meant to so many people. So it is a tragedy. So thoughts and prayers to his family. Uh, I'm sure they're going through a tough time right now. So anyway, Ryan, hello. Good to see you. Good to see you, Julia. Looking good. Thanks, you too. Coming off a nice uh, trip to Toronto. Yeah, it was a great trip to Toronto, man. How uh, was it? It was great. Thanks to everybody who came out. Royal Theater, great show. Um, nice to meet a lot of people in the flesh for the first time, people who I've corresponded with on social media and stuff. And I uh, was able to go out after the show a bit with a couple of the people from the show. A lot of fun. Uh, good to be up there. And it's funny, man. I was thinking about geography when I was up there and people, when they talk about Toronto, they're just like, Oh, it's cold. You better bring your jacket. And of course it's cold, right? It's a, we all know that these Northern cities are cold, but if you look at the map and you look at the geography of exactly where Toronto literally is, there are Northern American cities 
like in the United States that are further north than Toronto. But still the way everybody talks about Toronto is in this way, like, oh, it's it's cold in a way that we could never fathom in America. And that is objectively false. Take a look at the map. And I know that sometimes there's more things that play into that. Like Chicago, for example, we looked this up. Chicago is colder than Toronto. Chicago experiences more extreme temperatures than Toronto. It is both colder in the winter and hotter in the summer. But it is also sunnier, which is interesting. Hill Dog mm. made the point she would prefer a sunnier place that's colder over a, uh, a gloomier place or whatever. So anyway, I always am shocked when I look specifically at a map to learn specific stuff because you don't think about it. You kind of have an idea of where stuff is in your head and that's it. And there's a couple of things that stand out to me. This is one of them because I too kind of thought that. I was like, oh, Toronto, oh my God, the winter, oh my God. You know what I mean? And yes, obviously it gets super cold there, but... It is on the same line as Chicago. I know that being in near the Great Lakes can complicate things, but I think actually that where Toronto is situated, the Great Lakes actually work in their favor. It makes it warmer than it would be where Chicago gets colder or something. I might be pulling that out of my ass. <laughs> but you'll notice that like Wisconsin, Wisconsin, Minnesota, it goes up north and those the, the tops of those places are further north than Chicago. Yeah. Or sorry, than Toronto, all the way across the country. I had no idea. Right? It you, is so close to Buffalo, New York. It's very close to Buffalo, I had New York. no idea. Some of us don't look at maps. So apparently lake placement makes Buffalo, New York super fucking cold. Whereas Toronto is not as cold as Buffalo and doesn't get as much snow or something. I don't know. That's what the people from, from up there were, were explaining to me when we were talking about this. Interesting. If you're not if you don't have a map open, uh, like most of us do right now, following along, Lake Erie is right by Buffalo. Just north of that is Lake Ontario. Which is connected to Toronto. Which is, yeah, closer to Toronto. But they're very, both very close well, to each other, Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. The Great Lakes, uh, yeah, man, those Great Lakes are crazy. I mean, in Chicago, the lake literally looks like a sea. Like, there's been times where I've taken pictures in the summer and, like, sent it to people to fuck with them. I'm like, where do you think I am? They're like, Greece? I'm like, no, dude, Chicago. <laughs> crazy, crazy. Um, so, anyway, th- there's two other interesting things about this as well. And I, do, I just don't think anybody is thinking about this unless you are, but I don't think any of our default is to think about this because for example, there have been times where I'm just like looking where I am on the map and I realize some shit. So for example, Alaska is a perfect example. Alaska, like the southernmost part of Alaska is as far north as any kind of like inhabited place in Canada, any like widely inhabited place, southern Alaska. If you look at the, the continent, it sort of looks like a dragon. And, and Alaska is the head of the dragon. So it sort of goes all the way up. And Alaska is also fucking massive, dude. It is enormous. And zoom out on that map. Look at that. Look at that thing, dude. I'm still looking for it. 99. <laughs> just zoom out, bro. 99% uninhabited. Uh, it is truly the tundra up there, dude. Wow. And it's just crazy. Like in my head, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, like Yellowknife in Canada. Wow. Like. That, like, I think of that as, like, further north than Alaska for some reason. And I'm a person who knows about geography, you know what I mean? And still, like, mm-hmm. this happens to me all the time. Another one is, like, in Connecticut, for example, if you drive up 95 on Connecticut, you're driving, you're not driving literally along the water, but it kind of, like, hugs the Long Island Sound in a way. Mm-hmm. And New London, which is by the beach, is actually further north than where I grew up which to me never made sense. We just thought we're going to the beach, we're going south, the shoreline south. But then when you go, I don't know, whatever. So it's like all this sort of like 
geographical orienting can be very interesting. Question. How did we get Alaska? I don't know. Do we I, always have it? Or no. We must have acquired it. It's so far away. 49th state. There's some Seward's something. Like William Seward, I think, was a senator. Who the fuck knows? I don't even know what he was. He was in charge of that. I want to say 1948. All right, guys. Let's see. I think... What did you say? 1948. Because I think the Alaska was part... Was Alaska part of the Louisiana Purchase? Now I'm just... Probably. All right. What what did you say? 1968. Or sorry, 1948. 1959. Fuck. And Hawaii, 1961? 59. Okay. And was the was Alaska somehow part of the Louisiana Purchase? Russia offered to sell Alaska to the United States in 1859, believing that the U.S. would offset the designs of Russia's greatest rival in the Pacific, Great Britain. It seemed like the U.S. was the only suitor that was interested in purchasing it. Interesting. Um, Canada. Wow. Wow. What a blunder. This is before like fossil fuels and shit. Yeah. Wow. This is interesting. Stop piecing this together. I had no idea. I had no idea how far away Alaska was. And I've seen a map like same you know, as yeah. often as most people that don't see maps often, you would assume that it's a little bit closer. No, it's very far away. Yeah. There's a lot of like random contextual geographical stuff that you just never think of. And then if you happen to be specifically paying attention to it, which why would you be? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh shit, like that's crazy. Um, but anyway, Toronto was great. Had a nice time. Danny Palmer, Zach McGovern were up there with me opening the show. Danny actually went on a date with a listener of Oops, guys. <laughs> Just so you know. So, and I think it actually went very well. I think they intend to see each other again. That's great. And, uh, you know, that's very positive. And, uh, you know, so yeah. If anybody, if you guys have any interest in any of the guests on the show, we can theoretically make that happen for you. Uh, we like to interact with everybody. So that was fun. It was a good time. Hill Dog was in the mix, uh, along with her sister and brother-in-law. We hung out with them a bit. So it was a big squad event and a nice way to close out the year. Thanks again to everybody who came out to see me on tour this year. What a great, uh, great year. And my certainly my most substantial year on the road. Um, and it's been great coming to all these different cities. So look forward to coming to some new cities in the new year. Also to hitting some of the ones that I've already been to. I'll be working on some new shit inevitably, uh, after I burn this hour and run it into the ground. So going to be good shit. Want to hear another deodorant story? Ab- Ryan, absolutely. You guys ready nice, for another one? A nice deodorant story from Lynchy boy. Okay. The year is 2009. I am at a boys and girls dance. We're at the age where people are starting to slow dance with each other. The boys and the girls aren't separated side by side when the slow one comes on. We've built the confidence to ask a lady to dance with us. And there she was, Ida Bertez, Mm. tall and beautiful. And all the boys were Googling their eyes over her. How old are you at this point? I was 12. Okay. I finally mustered up the courage to walk over to her and ask her to dance with me. Mm. But so did Michael Mail. Oh, Michael Mail, at the same time, we both approached her and we both asked in unison, Ida, will you dance with me to Jason Mraz's I'm Yours with the Lil Wayne remix? <laughs> and she looked at both of us and she ended up picking me, Julia. Wow. Good for you. And as we were dancing towards the second chorus, she whispered into my ear, You smell so clean. And amazing. Wow. And that's why I picked you to be my dancing partner. Wow. And that's why we wear deodorant, everybody. The old sniff test. The sniff test. And that is why we wear deodorant. Lands the dance. The sniff test lands the girl. 
Lynch uh, is as clean as he looks, folks. Thank he's you. He's a clean, mean fighting machine, and he's ready to steal your girl if you don't come correct. We love a nice <laughs> vegan mineral deodorant cream here on Oops the Podcast, and you can get it at RebootEco.com. The best products. I will say this too, dude, about the uh, deodorant. I like this container that it comes in. Mm-hmm. It's a it's like an easy thing to travel with, which I find helpful. I hate carrying a giant deodorant stick with me. Mm-hmm. And also I hate putting it in and out of my luggage. That mm-hmm. could be annoying to me. This is easy. Just toss it in there. Fits. Yeah. Jar yeah. style. Jar like, style. Some deodorant sticks, when you pull the lid off, sometimes uh, part of the deodorant like erodes and then like brushes out and it just is a pain in the oh, butt to put in too. your backpack and then your backpack smells like deodorant. Only you should smell like deodorant. These jars are great. This is fun too because I like the consistency of it and yeah. I like, I literally apply it with my hand to every corner of my armpit, which is quite fun. Another product mm-hmm. that I've really been enjoying, dude, this dragon fruit body butter. I smell yeah. like a snack, dude. I smell so good that I'm actually worried that people are going to want to eat me. If you were at my dance in 2010, Ida would have probably wanted to dance with you instead of just me. Ida Brites, Galarati yeah. comes correct with the <laughs> dragon fruit body butter. Real person. Reboot Eco is <laughs> where it's at, guys. They have some of the finest products, finest sustainable products. We haven't even mentioned that yet. It is a marketplace with all things sustainable to live a more sustainable life, to do your part, to keep our planet looking and feeling good. Which would be really nice at this point. Yeah. To keep the planet looking and feeling good. Uh, so whether it's household cleaning supplies or like beauty products, literally everything. Or just like standard stuff that you need like toothbrushes, toothpaste. Reboot Eco's got you covered. Uh, and it's a great gift to give. And especially because it's fun to add that angle of it's also sustainable. And it's also, I found that I appreciate that. If somebody gives me a, a cool, easy to use product that I'll actually use, that's also good for the environment. It's a win-win. To me, that's the biggest barrier to entry is that there's some sort of idea in our minds that sustainable products are a pain in the ass. And it's just not true at all. And Reboot Eco proves that. So right now, guys, for, for the holidays or just in general, uh, head over to RebootEco.com, use promo code OOPS, and get 15% off of your online purchase. This is the time to do it. Also, follow them on Instagram and Facebook at RebootEco for any announcements, exciting stuff that they have going on. They have a really cool community. But this is the spot to get it done. Affordable, planet-friendly, great gifts. RebootEco.com, promo code OOPS for 15% off of your order. Dude, one funny thing happened. I was on the uh, the escalator leaving the Delta Lounge from JFK, and it's a long escalator. It might have been LaGuardia. Either way, long, long escalator, right? Some dude follows me to the escalator to, you know, say what up. He's a fan of the show, whatever. Hey, dude, what's up, blah, blah, blah. And we quickly say hello. He says, it's, you know, great to meet you, whatever. And now we're just on the escalator. <laughs> So now after that's all happened, he now just has to ride the escalator all the way down to the bottom with me and then go back up, which I thought was kind of funny. All right, dude. See you later. Sounds good. See you later. But there's nowhere for either of us to go. So he raced onto the escalator that you were going on to just to say hi. Which is a completely acceptable move. Oh, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Like, thanks for doing that, dude. That's awesome. Um, but then it was funny because now he just had to, we just had to stand next to each other for an additional 15 seconds and ride the escalator down. That's cute. Was it <laughs> awkward? No, but like (laughs) it could have been, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That is an interesting thing about an interaction like that when you can't part ways after. 
Mm-hmm. Like it's happened to me. It happened to me in the sauna. We talked for a little, and then we sort of like look forward. And then I think he couldn't take it anymore and just and tapped out. Yeah. I think he would have normally lasted in the sauna, but he felt too uncomfortable. What's the difference between a good interaction and a bad interaction? With like a, with a fan? With a fan. Yeah, with a fan. Well, it's for, dude, I mean, I think a, a fan, no fan, and in, in general, just like giving the too much weight to it will make things weird, inevitably. And this, the reverse has happened to me. I have cultivated a new work relationship recently. And the person who I am now interacting with is a very important person. And one of these people who never feels uncomfortable. They make, they will make, always will make everybody else feel uncomfortable, but they feel completely comfortable in their own skin and uh, never would feel uncomfortable. So a thing happened where I started to overthink what I should do when I greeted the person. I'd see them in passing. Do I go for a hug? Do I not go for a hug? I think that maybe the first time we met, we hugged. But after that, it maybe didn't make sense. So the next time I saw the person, I shook, I shook hands. They were sitting. I oh, hey, good to see you. It felt weird. So now I'm like, okay, what do I do when I see them again? And I couldn't stop thinking about it. And it was ridiculous. You know what I mean? There's no reason to overthink that. If the hug makes sense, go for the hug. If it doesn't, you can wave. You can say, hey, what's up? It doesn't need to turn into a thing. So anyway, I'm like, surely this won't be as weird when we're in person. Next time I see them in person, I go for a hug. And it was like weird that I went for a hug. How? Did he give you a hezzy? Did he hesitate? The person was like, oh, and, and like I sort of went for a one arm side hug so I didn't have to fully commit to a hug. Mm-hmm. And you could tell they didn't expect that. And they kind of gave me a few pats, mm-hmm. which made it seem as if they were thinking, oh, I guess, oh, we hug. Okay. But like, this is weird. And then I literally couldn't stop thinking about it. <laughs> And then the next time I saw them, I did not have to, I didn't go for a hug. There was no hug to be had. I felt like I had redemption, but I didn't need to like, dude. And then I was, I was thinking about it. All the other people in this same environment. Okay. Again, I don't want to like talk specifically about where, cause it would become too obvious who I'm talking about, but everybody else, I'm not thinking about that. Any like less important person, maybe I hug, maybe I don't. I don't even think about it again, you know? So it's funny. People can fuck with your head. So just never put too much weight. If you can avoid it, don't put the interaction on the pedestal or you will inevitably overthink it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's good advice. And dude, when I'm just so cool in a scenario, I'm like, why can't I just assign this same behavior to that situation? Why can't I just be like that when I feel more pressure? But you just want people to like you. You know what I mean? And you're like, oh, like suddenly every single little thing starts mattering. And I'll tell you what, if you're feel, if you're thinking that way, you're already fucked. Mm-hmm. You know, that person is, or it's already, it's immediately going to be weird. You're not going to be on the same level and the person's going to like feel uncomfortable being around you. Potentially. I don't feel that way when people come and say hi to me. I love it. And I also try to make sure that they don't feel weird about it. Cause sometimes people will be like, I know a lot of shit about you. Like I feel weird. I'm like, no, don't feel weird. That's exactly what this is supposed to be. The reason why this is a successful show is because of that. We are a big group of pals. Now there's a lot of, a lot of you guys. So inevitably I don't know all the specific details about everybody, but that is how this is how this works. We participate together. You listen to the show. We all have fun. And then when we meet, it's not weird. The point of this show is that you feel as if you're hanging out with us, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I only ask you that because I know you would never do this, but, you know, 
someone goes up to, let's say, a podcast equivalent, and they say, hey, oh my God, so good to see you, and they just like snap, or they're very closed off. They're like, oh, I don't want to talk to you. Oh, yeah. Like, that is that is something that happens. Like, people have had that experience. So, I bet going in, you know, let's say someone had that experience in the past, and then they see you at the airport, they might be hesitant to say hi to you because they don't want to risk the chance of experiencing what they did previously. Oh, oh meaning like the chance that they'll get shot down. Yeah, rejected, yeah. shot down, or just, you know, feel shitty. Isn't there, a, isn't there a phrase, don't meet your heroes? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's real, but dude, listen, I mean, I am... I am not well known enough for this to be a problem for me. I walk around minding my own business constantly. I'm not turning heads as I walk by. I'm sure there's a percentage of people who maybe recognize me but don't say anything. There's a percentage who do say something. I wonder sometimes what that percentage is. I think it's maybe like I feel approachable and I want people to feel like I'm approachable. Um, But you know, there comes a time in a performer's life where I'm sure they become too famous and it gets to a point where it fucks their life up. I am nowhere near that, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Even if, even if it were to happen to me once a day, which it does not, if it were, that would still be fine. I love it. I'm like, oh, this is, this is cool. Like, it's still like a fun for me to be recognized and shit. But, you know, the more famous people of the world who every time they walk out of a building, there's paparazzi or every single person they walk by is reacting that has to be exhausting and i am nowhere nowhere near that i think that i would like to get there because there is sort of like a direct relation to the amount of money you're making with being that well known but i like floating around dude i don't like having to be inside all the time i like just being able to go do stuff and i want to continue to sometimes i think about that i'm like if i were to become super famous would I be able to continue being a man of the people? Would it be worth it? Because like those cameras, they're just cameras. The people aren't, I mean, maybe it's different for Michael Jackson, but even for like most stars, if they walk out of a building, they could probably do that most of the time. Maybe they're at the airport, maybe in LA it's worse, but like in general, they can like walk around and maybe they'll get recognized, but it's not like dangerous the way it's like, they're like getting swarmed like Justin Bieber or something where like there's, they need to have people holding them back. What are those people doing? They're trying to attack him. Like they're obviously not, they just want to get near him. Ah, they're trying to touch him. Mm-hmm. I get that that, that would stop you. But like in general, if there's two or three paps waiting outside the house for me, Julia, what's up? Maybe I could be cool for at all times and just accept that that was going to happen to me. I don't know. Easy for me to say. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it would get really old really fast. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, I, you, you saw, Taylor Swift went to one of the the first Chiefs games uh, when her and Travis Kelsey became a thing, and I think they took her out in a popcorn machine. Stop. As a decoy. Stop. They brought her out in a popcorn machine and walked her by pedestrians Stop to sneak it. her out because you know she's one of those you know top she's five people huge. that people don't even view as a human being. Yeah. She's a goddess. Goddess. And so like that's that's the life. I stumbled upon a a, a TikTok the other day. It was like actors freaking out uh by paparazzi and fans storming them and there's a shot of toby mcguire just trying to pull his car out of a garage and the paparazzi are just taking pictures and the flashes are covering the blind spot he opens the window and he freaks out but it makes sense it makes sense totally and the thing that sucks is like those freak outs like make the celebrity look bad a lot of the time Mm -hmm. which is not fair like they're literally getting pushed to their limits I didn't even realize Tobey Maguire was that famous. Was that a while ago? 
Um, I don't know. That's Without the other thing. You, you don't always stay that famous, and that must be hard for some of these people because you know you live this isolating, li- isolated life, and it's like it's almost like your connection is with your fans in a way. Mm-hmm. And if you lose that, then maybe it feels lonely or weird or something. You know. Mm-hmm. Tobey Maguire. That, that's interesting because I, I don't. You don't see him in too too many movies. He was in he was Babylon. He was Spider Man, but that's kind of turned into like a meme. Like his character and portrayal of Spider-Man has been made fun of to be like corny, but it's also beloved. So like that must be weird too, because you have this like new generation of fans that didn't grow up watching the 2000, 2002 and 2004 Spider-Man trilogy. He was in three of them? He was in three. And actually it was two, I think it was 99, 2004 and 2007. That was when they came out. But you have people that are watching them now, now that there's been two Spider-Mans since, and all they know him from besides, you know, before they watched those movies, they saw the memes, which are making fun of him because he was kind of corny and silly and it has aged where it's kind of a goofball movie as opposed to how serious it was back in the early 2000s. I bet that also... Wait, what do you mean? Like, you mean in the early 2000s it was a goofball? No, in the early 2000s it was, you know, more prominent and, and serious. And now it's goofy? And now it's, oh, oh, it's right, corny. Right. Gotcha, gotcha. It's aged when it in came a corny out, manner. It was like, oh, wow, and now it doesn't. It didn't age well. Okay. Yeah. Well, it aged, it just, it, I wouldn't say it soured. It's just, it's aged from, like, serious to, like, corny. And uh, I haven't seen it in years. I remember loving it when I saw it, but I'm sure... Yeah. It's like watching Independence Day now. It just does not hold up. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So Tobey Maguire, by the way, that's my Spider-Man. Like, I loved those. I grew up I, on I that. Too. Those are the best. Um, James Franco. Yeah, James Franco. Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love Willem Dafoe and Jesse Plemons, dude. Um, but I bet there are some people that have, like, made some punchy comments and, like, you know, laughably point at Tobey Maguire when he's out in public. And I can only imagine how oh frustrating God. that is. I'm just, I, I'm just making... No, predictions, totally. but I could totally see that happening. Like when you see like Brad Pitt, people are like gooing and they're awing over him. I could see how Tobe Maguire could have a shorter temper because people might Maybe be making fun of him. With him. So it's interesting you say that. I've thought about that too. And remind me to say something about James Franco after this. Sure. But I've thought about that too in that if everything's great and everybody's like, oh my God, like that must feel good. But everybody knows everything about you. So say something embarrassing has happened or maybe you, you just had a movie that didn't do well or like something bad happened to you and now that is just as visible of a thing. You, you're less likely to want to be seen in public during the aftermath of that. And I relate to that in a sort of like micro version in that if I have a bad show, I don't want to see people after the show as much. I'm embarrassed because I'm... I'm thinking that maybe they didn't like the show and maybe they're just like good show, but they don't mean it. Mm-hmm. And I start like trying to like, you know, think about that and get all anal about that. And like, that's not a good feeling. And also before the show, I don't like seeing people because it feels as if it sort of, it feels like it cheapens the experience for them or something to see me before. You know what I mean? I don't want that big reveal to happen before the show. Maybe I have, maybe I'm holding shit. I don't know. You know what I mean? I just want to maintain this vision of whatever people have when they're coming to see the show. Ryan, I used to have a temp job. And what I did, I worked in underwear. You did? I did. I worked in underwear. I didn't know that. Now, in working in underwear, I got so many pairs of free underwear that I pretty much never needed underwear ever again. Where's this going? <laughs> you'll, you'll see. So it's amazing. I did. I literally had a hundred pairs of underwear and slowly over time that began to make no sense. It was insane to have that many underwear. Uh, and what would also happen is I would allow my underwear to accumulate to a point 
where doing the laundry was crazy. I was doing like an industrial amount of laundry. I realized at some point this did not make sense. And when I moved, I purged 80% of my underwear. And what I realized once I did that, underwear are not always that durable because suddenly this small rotation of underwear that I had were ripping and they weren't lasting. Mm. So now for the first time in my life in the past 18 months, I've actually started to buy new underwear. And that's where we get to where we're going with this. Me undies. Oh. Are where it's at. Me undies. That's a good choice. Durable, soft. Dude, I'm telling you, these underwear last forever. And I look forward to having a small rotation of underwear and not needing to re up because of holes. It's the best. Dude, you know, you know what holes and rips I hate the most? The ones that are in like the inner thigh and they tuck up because you don't even know about them. Mm -hmm. They bunch. And now suddenly you pull, and now here you are, Mr. Popper Man, Mr. My Pants are connecting with the side of my thigh, man. And now I feel uncomfortable, and I don't know why, man. But the reason, man, is because you're not wearing the right underwear. MeUndies are perfect for the holiday season as well. They have a bunch of very fun novelty holiday underwear and products, including my favorite, the Polar Bear Wearing a Flannel Shirt. (laughs) That's as holiday as it gets. It's as holiday as it gets, surrounded by lovely trees and snowflakes. And that polar bear, don't get it twisted, dude. That polar bear will eat you. Just because he's wearing a flannel shirt, don't think that he's too cool for school. (laughs) He is ready to eat your A, and you should be careful. (laughs) Whether it's loungewear, underwear, bralettes, boxer briefs, boxers, whether you want it to be a holiday style or you want it to just be the basics, MeUndies has got you covered baby knock out your holiday shopping today and get 20 percent off your first order plus free shipping ryan at meundies.com slash oops that's meundies.com slash oops for 20 percent off plus free shipping meundies comfort from the outside in all right i have a hypothetical for you let's say 10 years from now you're much bigger than you are right now and you get to the level of fame where tmz starts dropping like false stories and narratives about you and it goes viral How would you deal with that? So here's the question that I have. I, what percentage of stories that go viral are not real? Because I know there's like tabloids, but everybody knows that the tabloids are fake. So it's like, is Brad Pitt an alien? Like that's like fun and funny, but like nobody actually believes that. I'm trying to think of an example of like a fake story about somebody because you can sue people, but I think it's a little different if you're famous there's like a different, uh, like the libel law is like different if you're a pervasive public figure as if if you're just random Ryan. Mm-hmm. Like you, like I would have to prove, I don't, I don't even, there's no point, I'm not a lawyer and I didn't even do well in this, this class so there's no point in going into it but I just know that they're different. But um, I, well, can you think of an example of some shit that just was like not true? I'm trying to think of or something that was like that's obviously like, not true. I'm trying to think of something that's like defamation right. level because... Like there were false reports that Shohei Otani was in Toronto last week interviewing with the Blue Jays, but that was not true at all. And people believe that story the whole day. But I'm trying to think more of like a personality. So he can clear that up. Here's an here's an example. Yeah. Nadal sued somebody for like saying that he took steroids. So like if someone's out here saying you took steroids, like of course, like people saying shit would bother me. You know what I mean? Like theoretically, if I become big, like people are going to try to cut you down. So all you can do is try your best to like cover your tracks. But I would also love to like maintain my integrity. I don't want to turn into like a robot. You know what I mean? Like I want to just always do stuff that I like and I believe in. Like I'm not as interested in 
being famous like mainstream like it would obviously be nice because it would mean I'm making a lot of money which I which I do care about but theoretically I want to work on stuff that I think is cool and get paid to do it Mm -hmm. whatever that might be and right now I'm enjoying the stuff that I like which is like I like doing the pod I like performing live comedy I'm going to shoot my special I hope that goes well and if that goes well that can hopefully lead to more of them you know what I mean I like making videos in other countries and you know I like acting dude I do it's just the thing that I can't really control as much. So, you know, if somebody's working on something and they cast me, great. If I get an audition, I'll do the audition, whatever. But I, it's hard to like sit there and peg your future on something you can't control. And I haven't been as into like writing scripted shit for myself these days. So that's sort of my, my business, those, mm-hmm. those things, you know? Uh, so if I get to work on cool ones, like I will say this, if I turn into a movie star and I started doing like, movies that I hated because I was getting paid a fuck ton of money. I guess I'd be excited that I was making a fuck ton of money. But once I made enough money, I would not feel the need to keep chasing the dragon and do blockbusters constantly. Like I think I'd be selective. But bro, peer pressure is also a thing. I'm also wondering, I'm like, why do these guys agree to do this? Like, why would he do that? And I'll tell you what, and not not just peer pressure, but just being impressionable. You're surrounded by these people. They're powerful, powerful agents, these producers, and they're telling you, you should do shit. That's, that's compelling. So I would be like, oh, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about and I don't. Like, I'm not a default go with my guns guy, you know? And when I see people who are that way, I'm really impressed by it because sometimes I need to like take a step back and be like, okay, is this really what you want to do? Well, I've done tons of whack shit, dude. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've done tons of whack shit. I'm just not well-known enough or noticeable enough for it to matter. But hopefully once I cross that threshold, when I am, suddenly my decision-making becomes more important. Because people are going to be paying attention to everything that I'm doing. You know? mm-hmm. How would you say like your bullshit scanning meter is? Like when someone says like, oh, Julia, this would be a great idea for you. Are you able to, you know, you're impressionable, but are you able to like see through a bad idea versus a good idea? I'm getting better at it. But I'll say this too, dude. I mean, like there's a give and take where like I don't get all these opportunities. Like at the end of the day, like saying no to something can really impact me more than it can impact a person who's constantly being offered shit. So I don't have to be as selective, I think, but maybe I do. Like maybe these choices like really do matter. I I will say this, at this point I understand which things make sense for me to pursue versus not. Where I was younger, if if, if anybody was like, would you be interested in this? I'd say yes automatically, even if it was something I wasn't. I would work in writer's rooms. I'd, I'd show up for a day and I'd help write pranks for like, uh, I, I helped out on 50 cents talk show. I like wrote some pranks for them and like, I'll do stuff like that. And like, I learned during that process that I don't, that's not like my favorite thing, like being in the writer's room. So now like if someone was like, do you want to submit a writing packet for a late night show as a writer? I would probably say no, because I know I don't like it. And like, I, I've done it before. I submitted a packet for John Oliver and that's a show maybe that like is more up my alley, but still like I know more now what I don't want to do. So like spending time pursuing it just because that opportunity to be considered is available isn't always the right use of my time. That's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It does. So as far as my bullshit meter goes, I mean, look, if I pitch a TV show and they're like, no, sorry, like everybody pitches this TV show and one production company's like, I love this idea. Let's talk. And then we start talking and they're like, but what about this? Even if I, I don't love that idea, I might be more willing to convince myself to like it because this is my only opportunity. 
And I've done that before. One time we had a deal. It was for the show we used to run, Fat Baby. And we shot this funny sort of like heightened reality version of what a show would actually be like. This guy, Bobby Haha, was on the show. And he's this sort of like very rough around the edges, tough guy, ex-Marine, ex-like mob guy who's also gay. And he talks, he's a tough guy, but he also talks about how he loves like hooking up with like twinks. And it's like really fucking funny and doing drugs. So we like filmed a kind of like sketch version of what a night with him at the comedy club looks like. Right. And it was really funny. And it was a fun show. We ended up getting a deal with a production company and then they decided to just like turn it into a reality show. And we were like, okay, because we didn't have any other opportunity. So we're just like willing to do that. When the dust settles, suddenly you're working on a show that you don't like, you don't believe in. And then when it doesn't work out, you're like, why the fuck didn't I just like stick with my guns and be like more more uh rigid there because it didn't end up working out anyway but on the other on the other side of that you could have been like well if it did work out maybe you would have thought it was a great success so i don't know dude it's a give and take i do think it's important to stick to your guns and i think that like people who sort of unapologetically do exactly what they set out to do if they if they're consistent enough over time it does tend to work out for those people so i'm trying to like be very in tune with what i care about and what makes me happy and makes me kind of go so that I think that over time that will work out for me too, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And I think the, like the travel shit is that, is that thing for me. This holiday season, I want to give a gift to my loved ones that makes them feel special and unique, just like the relationship we share. That's why I'm gifting everybody that I care about StoryWorth. StoryWorth is a very cool online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. It's a thoughtful and meaningful gift that connects you to those who matter most. So basically, if I were to gift my mom StoryWorth, over the next year, she would get prompted with a series of questions that she could then answer. The thing that's cool about it is it's things that I may have never thought to ask her, or maybe it's like awkward to ask her. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's like weird to get really personal. Let's kill that stigma. Gift some story worth. Basically, it will email your relative or friend thought-provoking questions of your choice from their vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks a question that you've never thought to ask. Or maybe it is stuff you might have thought to ask, but it's like awkward. And here's some examples like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? I don't know. Whatever. So you just get them talking. Mm -hmm. You get them writing. And after one year, StoryWorth will combine, will, will compile all of the answers and turn them into a book, which you can keep into an incredible keepsake. Also, reading the weekly stories helps you connect with your loved ones, no matter how near or far apart you are. It's great supplemental reading material. So it's a great gift. It's really cool. Uh, it's really unique. With StoryWorth, I'm giving those that I love the most a thoughtful personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. Go to storyworth.com slash oops and save $10 on your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash oops to save $10 on your first purchase. Basically, you are gifting a memoir vehicle for someone. Yes. You know, for a person who wouldn't write their memoirs, you are getting that from them because you care about them and you want to learn about them. And it's cool. So, StoryWorth, go check it out. You mentioned that you, you spent a long time sorting out things that you like doing and things that you don't like doing. Mm-hmm. Roughly how long was that? I mean, I'm still, to some degree, man, I'm still doing it. But like, you know, I would say that over the past, since I've been just doing this and not having to do like side jobs and shit, um, for the most, I'd say I've been more in tune with it since then, which has probably been, I don't know, five or six years. Um, But I've been doing this for 15 years. So almost a decade went by when I was doing shit I hated folding clothes, teaching tennis, like, so I was, anything was better than that. 
you know, I'll work in some job in entertainment that I don't give a fuck about. At one point I was just trying to become a producer. I didn't even know how I was going to do that, but I was like, I cannot handle doing bitch work. I'd rather just do some like parallel job in entertainment. And you see that a lot. You know what I mean? And in retrospect now, I, I, I'm glad that that didn't end up happening because I don't know that that's what I would have wanted. I and mean, who knows? Sometimes success can make stuff seem more appealing. So maybe I would have started and it would have clicked and I would have done well and got some momentum. And who knows? Now I'm this behind the scenes guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say it definitely takes a while. It's the same as like finding your voice in a com- as a comedian. It's sort of like a similar path where like that term, finding your voice, it like doesn't really make sense. Seinfeld kind of summed it up well in that new Chris Rock and Kevin Hart documentary where it's like, how do you be funny and say your ideas and your perspectives the way that you sound and the way that you would say it? And how do you make that funny? That's sort of like what finding your voice is. And you see a lot of like new comedians not understanding that. Like you'll talk to them and you see them on stage and they're just like this bubbly version of themselves or like whatever it is that they are, they're not being themselves. And that sometimes is hard to pull off. So I'm sorry if that was ranty. Feel free to cut whatever that makes no, sense. No, I, I, I don't know. I don't. I just have tons of questions coming from yeah. uh, you explaining some of this. Was there ever a time, because you've been doing it for so long, has there ever been a time where you thought about quitting? Yeah. Was there ever, what was the closest you were? Is there a moment you can pinpoint when you were on the verge of quitting or the closest that you got to doing it? Man, so here's the problem with quitting you need to do something else. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't know what the fuck that was going to be. So I would say that the, the closest I came to quitting, I, I was going to shrink for a while. I kind of started going because the way that my insurance was set up, it was so hard to find a doctor who could like prescribe me ADD medication that I finally found this place where in order to get to go to a psychiatrist, I also had to go to a, th- to a psychologist. So I need to go to therapy once a week and then a psychiatrist would do my prescription for me. So I was like, all right, whatever. I started going to therapy, going to therapy and I actually kind of liked it. So the first therapist kind of just made me feel good about myself. I would just talk about shit. He ended up leaving and then I got assigned to a new guy who challenged me a bit more. So it felt a little heavier going, but I do think it was helpful. He would ask me uncomfortable questions and did a lot of good work. I recommend it for anybody. But along the way, I was temping uh, and I was, you know, effectively just a bitch. Like I would fold clothes, but I worked in like a, at a fashion company and I would kind of do whatever they needed me to do. I would do data entry, just like basic bullshit. And I was making some decent money and enough that I could like pay for stuff finally. Like I could go out to dinner every once in a while. I could like do stuff. And I felt they gave me confidence. You know, having a little bit of money in my pocket gave me confidence. I, I invested a little bit, like not a lot, but you know, 500 bucks, a thousand bucks. Whoa. Like, wow, I have savings. Like I'm working towards getting out of debt. Like this is all exciting and I felt good about it. So during my therapy sessions, my shrink sort of tapped into the idea that like maybe this is a better way to live. You feel so good, everything works. And like a lot of the sort of stuff with girls that wasn't working out, a lot of it kind of could be attributed to, you know, once stuff got past a certain point, it would become clear that I didn't have my shit together and I couldn't like be a good partner because didn't have any money. Didn't, I wasn't independent. I was living with other people. I was depending on them letting me live there for free. So I'm like living with a family, which is fine because the family was balling. You know, their house was sick. But still at the end of the day, I'm living at these other people's house. So it was like weird in a way. You know what I mean? And it was even weird for Hill Dog. She's like, so you just live with these people? I'm like, yeah. She's like, can you explain it? 
And if you guys don't even understand what the fuck I'm talking about, I'm happy to explain this more in a, in a later episode, but it's kind of getting against the point. So like all of my sort of like problems in my life were coming back to how unstable my lifestyle was trying so desperately to make it in comedy. It was so hard. And I'd hit the point now where let's say this is all happening in 2017, maybe 20, maybe even the beginning of 2018. I'm going to the shrink. I'm working this temp, temp job. Things aren't really working out. And I've sort of like cleared a lot of these these initial things that make you feel good in comedy. You know, you get invited to a comedy festival. You do the New York Comedy Festival. You open for somebody big. You get a commercial. You're on a TV show. You do all this shit, right? But still, you have nothing to show for it. You have no momentum. You have no money. It was also a tougher time for a comedian. Like, the social media component wasn't quite there yet. I hadn't figured that out. So, I'm sort of at square run, square one at every moment. I haven't made enough money to get me over the hump. And famously, the Taylor Swift thing is what got me over the hump. It finally got me a nice cushion of money. The lean? Yeah, the lean, where I could breathe and I could be like, all right, I have a few months to figure this out instead of feeling that pressure constantly on me. So the shrink was like, dude, maybe you're onto something here. You're working, you're happier, like you feel more confident, you can go out on dates. Like maybe there's something here. Maybe you don't want to do comedy. He was almost talking me out of it. And I don't know if he understood how close I was to being successful. You know what I mean? That's the thing that's so crazy about comedy. It's like you can be standing in a room with a person who's so fucking successful and you literally have nothing to show for it, but you guys aren't that far off. The difference between a guy making a million dollars a year and a guy who's a mover as a side job is not that big of a difference in entertainment sometimes. You know, you might be right around the corner from having, figuring it out, but like, you just got to hang on. You know, if you can just survive a little longer, things might turn in your favor eventually. You know what I mean? So I don't know if he realized that, but I really was starting to get to the point where I wasn't sure if I could handle this anymore. And that's kind of when I started looking for other gigs, like in production, where I'm like, okay, fine. Like if I'm going to quit, I don't need to like fully quit. Maybe I can like be a producer and like that's exciting. And maybe like some way that I can produce my own stuff. And like, I don't fucking know. I don't know what I was thinking, but I made a LinkedIn. I have a LinkedIn. If you look me up on LinkedIn, it says I'm a producer. <laughs> because I decided I was going to try to be a producer. There's no reason for me to think that I could be. I hadn't worked that track. You kind of need to be a PA and work your way up. There's no reason for me to think that. But I had produced a couple commercials where they brought me in. It was like pranks. So I got to be a producer on that. I put that on my resume. You know what I mean? So it's tough, dude. And I think that it can be true for any comedian. It's like you can sort of only last as long as there's wind blowing in your sails. What is that wind? Anything good could happen to you. But like I said, as you start progressing, new good things are, are harder to come by. And you also start to realize what things are actually going to impact your future. Whereas when you're young, you're naive, you don't know. Every time you perform on a new stage, that's a new thing. That gives you that positivity, that energy to keep going. If you lose that, I don't think anybody can keep going. So you need to sort of like put yourself in a position that good enough things can happen regularly enough that you don't burn out. Jay Leno kind of famously would say, like, if you survive seven years in showbiz, you're like, you can likely be good for life. And it, there's, there's something to that. You know, I mean, I started in 2008. I wouldn't say I had that moment until, you know, 2018. So almost about, about like 10 years for me. But I think there's something there. But don't forget, dude, like I had moments of success along the way. Like in 2012, I landed, I was on a TV show, 20 episodes prank show. I didn't make that much money. I probably made 25,000 bucks. But at the time I'm like, and I also had a Sony commercial going out that I made another $20,000 doing. 
now I just made $50,000 and I'm only like four years into comedy. Like I've barely been doing it. Like that's pretty, a pretty quick success curve. You know what I mean? Wow. Here I am. But those things just didn't do anything for me. A commercial doesn't do shit for you. There's no momentum. If anything, it hurts you. If your commercial does so well that people notice it, it actually pigeonholes you and you just become the guy from this. And they'll see you in something else. They're like, what the fuck is so-and-so from this doing in here? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So commercials, there's no momentum. You make money, but there's no momentum. And there's no reason. Once you book a commercial, that doesn't make you more bookable for another commercial. Your agent maybe will just feel more confident sending you out, but it's a completely separate thing from real acting. And my MTV show didn't really do much. Did one season, didn't, didn't lead to anything. And also like a prank show, the prank is the star of the prank show, not the actor. So a lot of the time, now granted, there's guys like that guy, Dax Shepard was on Punked, right? Mm-hmm. Punked was the biggest, the biggest prank show maybe of all time, but still like some of the other guys on Punked, like you don't, you know, you don't always recognize them from it because like I said, the prank is the star of the show, not the people. So like, it's hard to even parlay that into success, to success. And it was a non-union job. I didn't make a lot of money. So now I don't. So I have that one big year. And then after that, I mean, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, I probably made $30,000 a year if I'm lucky, probably less. So it's kind of fucked up. Mm -hmm. And then finally, you know, 2018, I finally get that national commercial. Now along the way, I've gotten unlucky. I had back to back to back national commercials. I either got cut or the whole campaign got scrapped. Two Apple commercials, both. I, I either get cut out or scrapped from it. One of them I had to go to Europe to shoot it. Crazy. And then a th- another one was a BMW commercial that they completely scrapped the whole campaign. And now, you know, I, on that BMW ad, I'm expecting to make $15,000 on that, like minimum. And now I make 600. And now I have to join SAC. And that's like $3,000 because I was a must join. I have to do three jobs. It's a must join. So just to give you an idea of, of what this life can be like, uh, and different environments can kind of yield different stuff. So at the time, like LA maybe seemed like it was the place to be. Like there's people in LA, they were working, they were making money. And I was like, fuck, like I'm missing out. You know what I mean? And then it can kind of shift. Like now New York, I think is a perfectly good place to be, um, with the way that, that the sort of job works. Cause back in the day, there was a very clear system. We've talked about this. It's like you go on late night, maybe you get a comedy central special. We're talking about this with the honest. Then you go on the road, you make the minimum, and you're not really drawing on the road. You know what I mean? You're at these clubs and whoever's coming that weekend comes to see you. So they pick the best comics and they make them all do that. And they're all making 1500 bucks a weekend, whatever, 2000 bucks a weekend. And then maybe you become Russell Peters or maybe you become Ralphie May. And there's only like a handful of those guys. Now there's a kind of like a lot of micro famous comedians who can sell out theaters. There's like a ton of them and there just weren't before. So that's become a more lucrative path. The like pod, Patreon, self-promotion, spamming Instagram, like that whole model is new and it's a really good thing for comedians. So look, like I said, it's just, uh, I'm sorry if that, if that was rambly, but I think it's also a good peek into just like how difficult this is. And here you are, you're this young guy or you seem like you're doing great on the surface, right? You can go out, you meet girls after the show and you can hang out with them, but it was like hard to take it past that. Um, because there's this fear of people finding out you're a loser. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want them to know. It looks, it all looks good on the surface, but you you actually have negative $100,000 and there's no reason to believe that you ever won't. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? I, I wouldn't, that wasn't a ramble at all. I, yeah. I don't think, uh, 
I don't think you've ever shared that before on the podcast. That was interesting. I have one more question about the, the Screen Actors Guild. You said, and we will get back to James Franco, guys, by the way. Yeah, we're, gonna, we're keeping the pin <laughs> in James Franco. But you mentioned something about three t- somethings before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, is, what, were you, what were you saying there? Okay, so in, the, in SAG, Screen Actors Guild, um, basically you need to join after you've done three jobs in SAG. I don't know if that's updated, but you can join after one. And back in the day, there was this idea that being in SAG would open doors for you or something. And, you know, I was an extra a couple of times and, you know, kind of famously like extras are sort of delusional. Like they don't really get how it works. And they kind of, <laughs> they think more like your parents than they do a per- like your parents who know nothing about the industry than a person who's in it. Like they'll say shit like, all you got to do is one thing and, and suddenly you get discovered. You know what I mean? Which is, it just like doesn't work that way. Like you'll hear these stories from before, but like a lot of those kind of turn into more glorified versions, I'm sure. And like the story of Madonna knocking down the door of the record executive when he was in the hospital and forcing him to listen to her demo. Like that doesn't work out usually. I'm sorry. You know, and I'm sure there was more behind that than meets the eye. You know what I mean? That story. A lot of the time, the people who are making it have connections or they've been into the feeder system from a young age. You know what I mean? It's hard to kind of break in. So anyway, these extras are kind of delusional. So a lot of the time they'll say, they they know everything. They know all the rules. They know all the overtime rules on the set. They'll be like, oh, like if you work overtime, you do this and you got your waiver and they know all the industry stuff. Um, And they are the type of people who are like, there's a career, there's some career background people. So they, of course, have their waivers now. And I think you make more money as a background person if you're in SAG. But you can also do it non-union if you're an extra. Um, but in my opinion, I don't think that there's necessarily any compelling reason to join unless you have to because it's expensive. Unless you like do some job where you make a fuck ton of money, then it's worth it. But so if you do three SAG jobs, you then technically have to join. And there are some workarounds, but like you might as well just join. And then joining, you need to pay you know, 3,500 bucks or something. I don't know how much, it might be more than that now. And then you pay annual dues. So you pay twice a year. There's a minimum. But then if you make money, you pay more, which is fair. And to be honest, thank God it exists because it's so complicated to like get your fucking money. Residuals are so complicated. Like it would be really easy for people to take advantage of actors if they didn't exist. So I'm very grateful that SAG exists uh, and I'm happy to pay. Um, And just even from like, yeah, because you don't even understand. It's so complicated that you don't even understand how you're getting all your money all the time. So anyway, yeah. it's a great thing that it exists. Um, and yeah, that's that. Last question. Yeah. What's the difference between a SAG job and a non-union job? So a non-union job, you just, the, like, you're not as protected. So for example, say you do a non-union commercial. And now there's sort of like new media where it's like Instagram or like YouTube stuff. Like it pays shit also in the commercial world. And there's all these kind of like contract renegotiations all the time for all this stuff, which is why people go on strike. Like with the emerging forms of new media, it's been easier for people to pay people less. Um, so for non-union, for example, say, uh, so usually a TV commercial can't be non-union. There are some workarounds, I think, like if you don't talk or if like some, like there are, I've seen some non-union commercials on TV, but like you just get paid way shittier. So for example, and you know, it's a case by case basis, but if you show up, say you do a commercial and it, you make 800 bucks, you show up that day, you get the 800 bucks, that's it. That's all you're getting. With the same thing for a SAG job, you need to get residuals for it. So say that you're in one of those non-union commercials that goes on TV. You make $800, that's it. I do, this, I do a commercial that's on TV and where I made, 
I made $800. Now, chances are I'm going to make more for the day rate than you did because there's all this stuff. I get overtime if it goes past a certain time. I need to get paid for my fitting. I need to get paid for my travel. I need to get per diems if I'm, if I'm on location. And if I flew to it, I get paid every mile I travel. There's all this shit. And then if the commercial airs, I now get paid a fuck ton. Every single time it airs, I get paid. And oh, wow. it's like for the first 10, you make this amount and it's a sliding scale and then they package it out. And now if they want to use it online, you get paid again. If they want to use it for industrial, you get paid again. If they wanted to use it in-house, you get paid again. If they want to re-up it for another year, you get paid again. Then on you need to just get paid 500 bucks that one time. And all like typically there are not good jobs that are not, that are not needed. But now there's like more low paying stuff that's good, which is sort of a problem for actors in a way. But I also get it. Like maybe it just doesn't make as much sense to pay us as much. I don't really know. But like if you do a commercial that only goes on YouTube, you make like nothing compared to like the days when like mainstream media was it and like companies were only doing TV commercials. So that's that. So like any TV show where there's an actor, that's union. But there's some reality shows that are non-union and that's because it's just people playing themselves. You're not acting. So theoretically, unscripted can be non-union sometimes. So is are there non-union shows on Netflix, HBO? Like, I, th- I don't know which shows are because sometimes reality shows are still union, mm-hmm. but other times they're not. So like, there's a chance that some like cable shows you really like, like Bravo or like E, if it's like people being themselves, there's a chance that some of those shows are not union. But any TV show, like... Any TV show that's like scripted, which is like, you know, a fake story or a do- like not a documentary, but like, uh, you know, what's the show in Wyoming? I don't know why this is the one I'm thinking of. Yellowstone. Like mm-hmm. any show like that, Union. Westworld. Every show you like, Sopranos. Every single show like that with a script, a written script, all are Union. And they cost way more to make, but people also get paid way more. But there's differing things. Like a TV, a show that's like on a streaming service, there's ways that like the contract isn't quite as good for you as it might be if it was on ABC because it's like network TV. Mm -hmm. So people are willing to like take an L to be in something better. So like you might make less money on an HBO show than you do on like Chicago PD 12. Like the guy who's the star of Chicago PD 12, that guy makes a fuck ton of money. (laughs) The guy's making like a hundred K an episode or something like there's crazy shit. They're always pushing those shows in between Sunday night football. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's yes, it's like yes. it's clockwork. Those commercials coming on for the, those shows. Yeah. But but a star is a star. So like any famous person you see in anything is making a fuck ton of money. Might not be the same as they were making, but like they figured out ways to make it work. So like Pacino will work a couple of days on a show and make a bunch of money. It might not be twenty million the way he did in two thousand or whatever, but he's still making a bunch of money for how little time he spent. And I can't tell you more specifics beyond that, but. uh that that's pretty much the scoop give you guys a little inside and I'm, I'm by no means an expert on this i mean as far as on-screen acting goes i haven't done anything that substantial like i've been in a couple episodes of tv shows i've never really been in a big movie i kind of haven't done that much <laughs> i have but i also haven't you know so uh it's a crazy it's a crazy game dude one of my most trusty pre-travel apps that i use is the Babel language app a lot of the time people will be like dude do you speak spanish i didn't realize you spoke spanish so well i don't speak spanish i don't speak anything i only speak english but before i go on some of these trips i will use Babel for a few weeks every single day for like 20 minutes 
take a lesson, then do all the review. And before you know it, when I head out to this trip, suddenly I have little key phrases accessible. And that is the cool thing about Babbel. It teaches you in a way where you're actually going to speak it. You don't spend the first six months on Babbel conjugating verbs exclusively, mm -hmm. where suddenly you have this like grammatical knowledge the way you would have learned in high school, but you can't speak a lick. You learn phrases out of the gate. So in some of these videos, I'm like kind of crushing some of these languages very slightly, you know what I mean? Especially on trips where I'm alone. Like when you have a guide, it kind of like, in a way, prevents you from needing to learn, you know what I mean? But you still should. So anyway, there's gonna be a moment on any of these trips where you're spending a little bit of time alone and you can't depend on, you know, some of these translating apps to get you through it. It's nice to have a little bit of a foundation of knowledge and that's why Babbel is where it's at. I have three languages programmed into mine, Italian, which I was like going hard on for a bit, kind of took some time off, but in 2024, I'm gonna hit it hard again. I have Spanish in there and I have Russian in there, dude, because like I've said before, I've thought about going uh, on a trip to Uzbekistan. They said it's helpful to learn Russian. And I will tell you this, if you go to Russia, it's extremely helpful to learn a little bit of Russian because A, nobody speaks English. B, that alphabet is super confusing. So if you look around, it's really intimidating to see this alphabet that has like eight more letters or whatever. Uh, and it's actually not as complicated as it looks. And it's really satisfying to be like, oh, well, this is cool. Like I can read Russian because you can read other languages because you know the alphabet. But with the Cyrillic alphabet, it requires new knowledge. There's new sounds, new things going on. Uh, and it's pretty interesting. So those two things plus number three in Russia, they love it when people speak a little Russian. They will be so appreciative that you took the time to try that they will open up their hearts to you. They're kind of like kitties. You got to earn their affection. You know what I mean? Uh, but anyway, whether you're going to Russia or somebody more, somewhere more conventional, or it's always been your goal to learn a language, or if that's it this year, your resolution is to learn a language. Babbel is the app for you. It teaches you in a way that gets you up and running quickly. And before you know it, you'll be conversational in the language of your choosing. There are a bunch of languages on there. Uh, I think Babbel is the place for you if you decide that you want to learn another language. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners to get you started right now. Get 55% off of your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners. Guys, Babbel's great for you. It's great as a gift. What a great gift to give somebody, the gift of language, especially somebody who's been saying it forever, how they want to learn another language. If you give them the gift, it will actually incentivize them to do it because you're finally calling them on it in this weird way. <laughs> uh, but here's a special limited time deal for our listeners to get you started right now or to get somebody that you love or care about started. Get 55% off of your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash oops get 55% off at babbel.com slash oops spelled b-a-b-b-e-l.com slash oops rules and restrictions may apply james franco james franco okay <laughs> james franco this is a funny and popular thing so that makes it made no sense to do that <laughs> so this is funny so speaking of name dropping okay and i'm not going to tell a james franco story i don't have one I don't even, I may have met him. I don't even remember it, to be honest. That's not, that's not a flex. That just probably means I've never met him. <laughs> um, there's a girl I know who dated him. Okay. I hung out with this girl, bro. And not even like on some, like we were hooking up. Like it was a friend. She's a good friend. She's a great girl. I'm not going to throw her under the bus um, by saying specifically in case she doesn't want this information out there. But she dated James Franco and I must have hung out with her for a hundred hours before I found that out. And I thought that was really impressive. That's pretty cool. That is some fucking cold shit, dude. Right? That's sick. Very cool. It's very impressive. I was like, damn. And at one point she was like, oh, I feel bad for James. Like when he was getting canceled. And I was like, 
oh, like, well, what do you mean? And I'd hung out with her for 100 hours at this point. So her just saying James by first name and saying I feel bad for James was in no way cringe. It was sick. Because like, to her, James is James. James is James. That was her guy. But yeah, they like hung out for a while, had a nice time. I think they filmed a movie together or something. Sweet. Uh, and I was like, damn, that's fucking baller. That was pretty baller. Shout out to you if you listen. You know who you are. <laughs> uh, and also, I got to hit you up, bro. I haven't talked to you in a bit. That's pretty sweet. And bro, I'm referring to a woman as a bro. I'm not outing James Franco, same-sex relationship. And if he's had one, good for him. But I just don't know if that's public knowledge. He's a good-looking dude. We don't need oops to be defamatory. Mm-mm. <laughs> uh, so I guess that's it, guys. You know where to find me. Um, I got my shows coming up. JuliaGalarati.com. In the likely event that you can't spell it, not Julio.com will also get you there. We are at Oops the Podcast. We are going strong. I think this is our... Is this our... This is our fourth year in operation, but our four-year anniversary is next summer. Does that make sense? Or will it be our... F- no, our no, five-year anniversary. No, it would be the fifth year of operation. Fucking I think a. the podcast started in 2019. So you got 19... Was it 2019? Yeah, it was 2019. Yeah, 19, summer. 20, 21, 22, 23. So we're entering the sixth technical year where the podcast has existed. Has existed, but this, is, this will be the five-year anniversary next summer. Yes. So I'm actually curious if anybody has noticed anything, like any like change in me as a person. Like I'm curious to hear about this shit. Like what you would say about me now that here we are, time has gone by. I am in no way sort of in touch with any of that stuff beyond sort of like accolades or like successes. You know what I mean? Like things that I've that I now do or have done that I wasn't doing before. But my as far as my personal growth goes, I'm curious to hear what people would have to say about that. Yeah. And for Lynch too. I mean, you've been in the mix what? Three of those years? I'd say three. It's kinda like for you, you know those time lapse photos where somebody takes a selfie every single day for 10, 18 years. I mean we got half a decade of episodes of you talking. I know. Half a decade. My so. voice has become raspier. Yeah. I'm dude. I mean, you used to listen to the pod too, right? Yeah, I listened to the pod religiously. I was rem- that weird for you at one point when you were just like sitting there with us? Yo, when when <laughs> I met you guys, when I met you guys, I had like a panic attack. I'll be honest, <laughs> because it was weird. I kind of like was like useless. I would like edit clips for you guys from my apartment in Connecticut, and then you guys said, "Oh, come on, come on in today," and I felt like a Make a Wish kid. Just sitting in <laughs> and listening to you guys. And then I probably sat in for maybe 20, I'd say 20, 30 episodes before we started doing Facts with Ryan. So I yeah. was just sitting there. I was just a bo- I was just an audience member. Facts with Ryan is why you're sitting here today. Yeah. Because, you know, uh-huh. like, like I would not have wanted you to sort of like be a visible character on the show if I didn't think you could do it. Thank you. you know what I mean, like, you know, you're funny, you're unique. Um, you know, you are a wonderful sidekick. Thanks, Jim. And I uh, love having you on the show. Multi-talented, and I'm glad it all worked out. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that because this is funny. This is a funny topic. Yeah. Well, just just to 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 be quick with it. After we recorded, feel free to take your time. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I showed up. I took the train in uh, from Connecticut, and I was super anxious. You be- were living in Connecticut. I was living in Connecticut when we started working together. Really? Yeah. And then you moved to New Jersey. Then I moved and to New then Jersey, to Brooklyn? then to Brooklyn. So where were you living in Connecticut? I was in Stanford. Oh. I was still at my full-time job. but In New was, Jersey, weren't you also? Uh, for Yeah. yeah. Different job? or you Same were, job. 
just working remotely? Yeah, but it was COVID times. So I was able to, I was able to edit clips during the day and kind of neglect my job. Um, and <laughs> that's what I did. Fuck your job. And uh, I came in, I was super anxious because, you know, just like everyone else that listened to the podcast, up until that point, I felt like I knew you guys at such a personal level. I've listened to you guys for hundreds of hours. Mm. And so I meet Chris and that in itself, I was freaking out. So I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to be screwed when I meet Francis and G. And then there I am. I'm in Francis's apartment. That was super weird. Then we go down to the studio. I see the mural. That was mm. super weird. I'm like, I just I just feel like it, it felt super out of place being part of being in the room with you guys while doing it. And then it just took a long time to feel comfortable uh, around you guys. But the day that I met you guys for the first time afterwards, everyone was hanging up on the roof and Francis offered a joint mm. to everybody and Chris was kind of my liaison so I like would look at I would look to Chris for everything I was like are we allowed to do this like mm. should we leave right away like do they even That's want good, us here good good like awareness I was like I was like are they just being polite by inviting us to go upstairs or do they want to talk business or like just talk comedy or just like you know fuck off and do their own thing but Chris went up and so I went up with Chris because you know I was attached to him by the hip that first day and then Francis <laughs> offered a joint and then I had the second layer of thoughts I was like is he just offering to offer should I really fuck off like you know they they had people coming you guys were talking was about was I there you were there for some of yeah. it and people came over and were talking business and so now I'm for I'm like fourth and fifth wheeling and then I took a hit from the joint who came over and was talking business I don't know his name was it a comic no but he uh, I think he was Francis's friend he was a non a non-comedian non-comedian oh I remember this okay okay keep yeah going. And, uh, you know, I just was like, okay, this is getting weird. Now I'm a little high. I don't know if Francis was just being polite. Oh, hilarious. They're having a conversation. Did I smoke? No. No. Props to you. And, uh, you know, I just, I was like, I was just sitting there for 45 minutes. And then eventually I was just like, guys, I got to go. And then I said goodbye. And then um, I called an Uber back to Connecticut because I was too high and paranoid to like go to the subway and take the train i uber directly to my apartment it's like a hundred bucks probably yeah a little more i think Hilarious. but um goes to show uh, a lot of time has passed and uh yeah, yeah dude things are great that's are great, great dude well look what a what a nice coming of age tale yeah. used to work his day job in stanford and now he's going to be performing there live hell yeah February first uh yeah. so maybe get your office to come out to the show give yeah. them a package deal that'd be sick so yeah send <laughs> send us emails uh at oops the podcast at gmail.com the blimp email that we got from mike that was a lot of fun that was a good one um it's it's always great when we have like very specific questions yeah, and then people have answers yeah let's kick off the next episode with some of those actually because i think we have a couple good questions that we should cover we get to these deep convos and then we forget to do it so yeah um yeah definitely keep sending emails and uh oops the podcast at gmail.com at oops the podcast at julio at ryan is really polite uh, I think that's it, right? Yeah, all set. All right, adios. Peace.